Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshwara Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Uh, today, we're going to uh, work with the first five sutras of the Brahma Sutra. Uh, you know, some people say that don't even read the Brahma Sutras. They're, they're, they're for people that are entering Brahman consciousness, which is very high level of consciousness, you know, and so it helps them with the transition. And though there's certainly truth to that, uh, it's also true that every individual, wherever they are in the course of their evolution, uh, can will pick up not just the Brahma Sutras, but anything, uh, on the level of their consciousness. And so there's a process that, you know, knowledge, just having a, even an intellectual understanding helps enliven that sense that's deep within us, that place, sensing of that place where we are already one with the absolute. We are already one. We are already, if you will, in the sense, you know, Brahman on that level. Uh, and so knowledge helps to enliven that process. But at the same time, it's the experience, you know, uh, pure just intellectual understanding, you know, that's mistaking the beginning for the end. Uh, that's that's um, uh, knowing all about is very different from uh, actually embodying and Become the actual experience, and of those different things uh, can exist on different levels, and that includes our level of consciousness as we move towards Brahman consciousness. Uh, the Brahma Sutras, you know, I've, I've talked about the structure of the Veda and uh, Vedic literature. The Brahma Sutras is kind of like, well, it's Vedanta. It's the expression of Vedanta. Vedanta, they, sometimes they call it the end of the Veda. Uh, I think that's probably not the best translation because it's not the end of the Veda, but, you know, what word do you use? It's the, it's the culmination, but, you know, is that even the right word? It's, but it's the full expression of the total value of uh, uh, what life and what the Veda is all about, okay? And that's Vedanta. Now, now I've mentioned in the past, I think, the mantra sutras of Jaimini Karma Mamansa and how that in the uh, Vedangas talks about that is um, sort of the deepest level of relative understanding of the relative. Uh, came from us from from uh, Jaimini uh, as a cognizer, you know, and um, so that's the subtlest silent ocean at the depth of the transcendent. Uh, uh, and that came, the knowledge of that was, was expressed um, uh, by Maharishi Patanjali, the notion of Kaivalya. And so Brahman consciousness, the Vedanta, 
is sort of like when those two interface, this, the relative and even the subtlest relative with the absolute and, and the silent depth of the ocean of the absolute. Because you see, uh, the absolute, though particularly um, best to relate to the absolute is it's pure silence, no thingness, pure consciousness, not conscious of anything. And so we have to be careful when we start talking about what's actually in uh, Apurusheya, uh, in the, the absolute itself, in Chaitanya itself. Uh, even though there is a self-interacting dynamic there where there's Suarez, you know, the, uh, the fundamental building blocks that the represented as the vowel, as the vowels in uh, Sanskrit, uh, they give rise, they interact, they're very lively, and they give rise to the uh, um, prakritis, which give rise to para prakriti and then into the relative, you see, so there's a mechanic there. But uh, uh, having said that, um, what we're talking about here then, in, when we talk about Brahman consciousness, is what happens as one's awareness um, rises to that level of Brahman consciousness. And traditionally, then, the Brahma Sutras are viewed as, okay, if somebody's entering Brahman consciousness, they can read the Brahma Sutras, and that helps clarify it. It gives the intellectual understanding that then helps with the, uh, a clarification and an understanding of the actual experience. And, and that, that there's a thing called the Mahavakya, you know, and that is, you see, when when someone enters that level of consciousness, it's, you know, we have this idea, I think, a lot of us that, you know, you finally get in, like, oh, my God, everything's great, and now I get it all, and everything's perfect. It's not like that. It's, uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's almost, um, it's unbearable. It's kind of like, you know, what? what happened to me, you know, um, there's, it's almost like a confusion in a way. Uh, uh, and so there's the idea of the Mahavakya speech, the great speech, the great word, if you will, where the guru, you know, gives the student in that stage, just the word, the, the right sentence at the right time to help uh, uh, stabilize that experience, you see. So then again, we have that interaction of uh, knowledge and experience, okay? Now, with the Brahma Sutras, you know, I've, I just recently, you know, got into the Brahma Sutras again and reading the Brahma Sutras, they're fabulous. And there are 554 of them. <clears throat> and we're gonna go into the first five uh, today. Uh, if you go online, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't mean to sound uh, critical or anything, but if you go online and read the commentaries and read the, the uh, uh, you know, analyses of the Brahma Sutra, uh, uh, they're terrible. I mean, and I think the reason is because, you know, there's a big difference between knowing about and actually becoming. And that even goes into, you know, who really is a Vedic scholar? Is it somebody who's read all that and analyzed all that and has an intellectual understanding of that based on their current level of consciousness? Uh, and then they write about the Brahma Sutras and, and 
as if they're authorities because you know they're after all they're maybe have a PhD in uh, uh, Sanskrit or Vedic studies or what have you, uh, but they don't have the experience really. And so then what goes online is misleading largely, you know? And, and uh, <clears throat> I was, so then in the process of looking at all that online, I was just aghast, you know? And I thought, well, Adi Shankara, let's take a look at his commentaries on the Brahma Sutras. And because, I mean, that's Adi Shankar. I mean, he's Shiva incarnate, you know. And so uh, I did that. And at first, and for a brief period of time there, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, this Adi Shankar's commentaries and there. This is terrible. And then I realized quickly, I realized that those are translations. Those are interpretations of, uh, of uh, Adi Shankar's commentaries by people at whatever level of consciousness they have. They may consider themselves Vedic scholars, Sanskrit scholars, but are, are, do they have the experience uh, to go with it? So the point being then is the Brahma Sutras can be experienced by all of us, but it's what determines the depth of our understanding is our level of consciousness. And so all I want to do today is uh, uh, share my experience of, of the Brahma Sutras uh, uh, from whatever level of consciousness I may have. Uh, uh, it's certainly far, I don't even see Adi Shankar in the horizon, you know, he's so far beyond all of us, you know. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, um, I, I, I think hopefully I'll provide some insights that you'll find helpful and um, uh, a value, you know. So the first um, Brahma Sutra, and I am not a Sanskrit scholar, forgive my pronunciation, uh, but I'll, I'll do the best I can with that. And, and uh, the first one is uh, Atato Brahma Jignasa. And uh, I talked about that a little bit in, in the previous podcast, but it says, now from here, the desire to know Brahman. It's a reasonable uh, translation. Now, it's very interesting. I mean, we could talk about this one sutra for a long time because at, and first we say now from here. Well, on one level, it can be, oh, okay, well, um, somebody comes along and they want to know Brahman and they're really curious about Brahman. They really want to study Brahman and, and, and Brahman consciousness. That's why they're reading this. And so that's why it says now from here. But there's a lot more to it. Than, than just that, because the point is that the whole Veda, the totality of all existence, everything, uh, that the knowledge of everything is contained in every point in creation and everything in creation. Uh, the totality of all knowledge is in this cup. Uh, 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 and it's here, and now it's there. And it's now, and it's then. And it's everywhere, all the time. Uh, and and the point is then also that in the field of duality, there's a separation, uh, and there's a natural longing. Everything is gravitating back to oneness, and so that experience, as we experience that, it's experienced this desire. 
the desire to take separation back to oneness. And we see it everywhere. We see it in uh, human beings, you know, we fall in love and we long to feel one with, we hear somebody speaking a language we don't speak, wouldn't it be great, you know, to be able to speak that language and understand what they're saying. So there's just a natural desire to understand, communicate, become one with everything. Uh, and even, I mean, an earthworm crawling through the, the mud to get to the sunlight, you know, um, the underlying impetus of that is because there's something divine there that it's reaching for, you see? Water flowing down a mountain stream, going through all the cascades and turbulences and everything, going back to the ocean of oneness, the ocean. Uh, so this is just a natural, it's gravity in a transcendent, in a transgradient sense, you see? So that is the desire to know Brahman. Now, we can say, well, wait a minute. We thought the state of enlightenment was free from desire. And that's another point of confusion there. Even the word desire can be misleading because when we talk about freedom from desire, what we're talking about is that place of Kaivalya, that place of transcendental death, that place of total oneness of everything, that place that is free from desire for anything because on that level, Everything is already one. How can you desire something if you already have it? But the point being here that we exist on different levels and even great enlightened beings they, who are functioning on the physical level, on that physical level, there's desire. They may desire a cup of coffee or they may desire or prefer vanilla ice cream to chocolate or, or what have you. So even that notion of freedom from desire, um, uh, there's greater levels of understanding from it. And I think what we might do here is we'll go through the five and we'll go through them again, because as a unified whole, they start to support one another and give greater depths of insight into the meaning uh, of the previous sutra. Okay, so the, the second uh, Brahma Sutra, uh, Janmajasya Yataha. Now, even that, what that means is it's like the birth. Uh, and, and the word Adi is in there, Jan Adi Jasya. Adi meaning, um, Adi is kind of like, uh, again, different meanings on different levels, but here, it includes the totality of the birth, which includes the maintenance, the evolution, the, the whole notion of um, relativity and its birth and its nature. So it, it talks about um, the birth of maintenance, evolution like that. Uh, and it's interesting because it says of this, oftentimes that's, trend, that's interpreted as saying of this world, Asya, you know, um, But, and though that's valid, let's drop the word and just take the literal translation as best as I understand it. It is a drop the world, the word that I think can be misleading. So what do we mean by of this? 
Yes. Well, we're in whatever room or automobile or wherever you're sitting right now or standing, whatever you're doing, there's a this around you. And the Brahma Sutras are talking about the birth of this. It includes the whole world for sure. And the whole universe as far as that goes. But evolution of the nature of one's consciousness in their awareness of this. You see? Uh, it's, it's all deep stuff, boy. I mean, these Brahma Sutras are unbelievable. Because Shas is generally interpreted as scripture and that's the birth, the source of scripture, the source of the shastras, the source. And on one level, yeah, okay, that's it. That's all there is to it. We got it. On to the next uh, suit. But there's there's a much deeper meaning to, to shastra here. Um and I'm not sure if I should go on the next ones, then go back to talk about Shastra and what that means. Uh, I think I'll do it here. Everything at this desk, this room. Every point in creation, there's there's the totality of the shastra, Upanishads, uh, which is a, a portion not man-made, but also the portion the level. But at any rate, that includes, you know, the uh, uh, Mahabharata, the Itihasas, the, the uh, uh, Upangas, the Vedangas, the, the Upaveda, all of that. 